to a story that's developing right now. The violence we've been experiencing in the city of Detroit. I believe we have the makings of what appeared to be a serial killer. Giving police clues, leaving a victim's sock on. Welcome to A Stocking for a Sociopath. I'll be your host, Dil Morrill, and you know what's the deal. This is a show where we dive into a world of sex, drugs, and murder in Detroit as we examine a side of the city that some of us know all too well and some of us can know a little better. This is for the city dwellers, the true crime junkies, and the sick fucks like me who find some of this shit kind of funny. And shout out to the narcissists and the sociopaths, because this is for you. Now this podcast is not for those with weak stomachs or those with light of heart. So be forewarned, because we are going to get into some shit. Now, aside from the bullshit fluff you hear on most podcasts, uh, we are going to have a little bit of fun here. We're going to be examining a criminal case from a few years back in the city of Detroit that's going to be centered around the work of a serial killer. Now, I know a lot of you get a heart on this type of shit, so let's dive in and fucking see this case's overall impact on the city, which may hold more importance than some of us could possibly imagine. And don't worry, I got some curveballs to throw you in the weeks to come, so let's get into it. Alright, so from the course from 2018 to 2019, uh, a serial killer began targeting middle-aged women in their 50s, and they all shared a background in the sex industry. To be blunt, they were whores. And not to be confused with hoes, I'm talking about actual hookers. You know? At least prostitution is safer nowadays. You used to have to worry about getting a sexual transmitted disease. Now all you got to worry about is watching out for a computer virus. Instead of having to use a Trojan condom, these hoes use Trojan horses. Now all jokes aside. So this serial killer, he had a particular modus operandi, a calling card if you will. So he would target, he would lure pretty much middle-aged women that are in the sex working industry. He would lure them to abandoned homes. And then what he would do is he would beat the living shit out of them, rape them, and um... Then he would strip them naked and leave a particular calling card. So what he would do is he would take this used condom, leave it at the at the scene, usually by their foot. He would lay the body, spread out the legs, either lay them on all fours or lay them on their back in like a provocative, uh, you know, provocative position. Um, so that's yeah. To make matters even more interesting, in addition to that, in addition to leaving the used condom at every scene of the crime, you'd also take a stocking or a sock off the victim's foot. So he would leave one foot or one one sock on their foot. So he'd leave the victim strangled or it would have a um like some kind of laceration. Could it be a head trauma, a blunt force of the head, either an object or, you know, by hand. Um Alright, so this sick fuck here that was going around raping and murdering women, his name is D'Angelo Martin. D'Angelo Martin, Mr. Martin. All right, Mr. Martin, so let's see what exactly you have done to our city. So, Mr. Martin has raped, he's got yeah, two convictions of rape, four convictions of murder. So, his victims stems from anywhere from four to, we believe, six. Um, five has been confirmed. However, since the, the body was left to compose, decompose for such a period of time, there's really no cause of death that was able to be determined. So, in situations like that, Especially, too, if you're trying to link a serial killer, there's really no... It's very hard legally to be able to say, hey, 
this motherfucker did it. Even though, like, you know, at the scene of the crime, we found, you know, they found evidence. Eventually, a hairbrush was used to link pretty much a strand of hair found at the scene to a victim that, you know, that was went missing. So, you were able to identify fifth victim, but unfortunately, due to the circumstance, it couldn't be tried. So, you only got, you know, off with four cases instead of five. Getting into it right now, I'm going to get into the first victim. So, enter Annetta Nelson. Annette, yeah, Annetta Nelson, which is kind of funny. And all the articles and Wikipedia's everything, they always spell her name wrong. I don't know why they can't just get the victim shit right. So, in February 2018, Martin Word Nelson, um, she was 57, which is kind of fucked to think about it, because you know that's the age you know my mom is, or she you know 58, and uh, think you know, never really thought I'd ponder the question, but I'd rather have my mom get murdered or be a prostitute, you know, I. Th- I think I think I would have to go with prostitute. You know, if I had to decide, if I had to choose, and I'm not one to judge how anyone makes their living. You know, it's rough out there. We all know that. And no way am I slut shaming. If anything, I would say that I'm pro slut. Yeah, a lot of OnlyFans stars out there nowadays. You know, uh, the guys here they probably know what I'm talking about when uh you say you're on you know on a dating app or something, you're matching, and you get get some girls trying to sell you OnlyFans. But now it's man, you're counting them in real life. It's funny. I was at the bar the other night and. You know, I met this one chick, you know, pretty busty, you know, so we're dancing, hanging out, stuff talking, and then at the end of the night, you know, figure out she's trying to sell me OnlyFans. I'm like, man, I thought of these scammers were only online, but now they're out in the real world and shit, you know. I always wanted to be a movie star, but I don't think that's what I had in mind. You gotta be careful out there, you know, you gotta respect the hustle, but you gotta be careful. Speaking of which, the other night, I got so shit-faced. So in the morning when I wake up. So I wake up naked in my bed in my hotel room. I'm missing my gold chain, and I'm missing my credit card. My first instinct was, shit, fucking got robbed last night. Like, I woke up naked, didn't remember shit, had no idea what the fuck was going on. Um, I was missing my gold chain, I was missing my credit card. Um, Yeah, couldn't remember shit, and then finally, I finally wake up, I'm scratching my head, and I'm looking for clues like a detective or some shit. I'm walking around the room, the first thing I see... So it was at this bar, and they had these little, like, each drink had these, like, special containers. For some reason, I, like, I guess I took one with the Uber home with me, and fucking the container was, like, broken on the floor. So I guess I fucking dropped that shit. And then I find my way to the bathroom where I see all my clothes just chilling in the in the hotel bathroom. And for some reason, my shoes were in, were in there. So that's how you knew I was fucked up. For my shoes in the bathroom, shoes have no purpose being in the bathroom. I don't care what, 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 what you're doing with them, but... Yeah, that right there. So I see my gold chain fucking laying in the corner of the bathroom. And then a giant relief hit me. I'm like, okay, now I know I wasn't robbed. I was just fucking drunk and acting the fool. And the reason I bring this up is I very well could have got robbed probably like last week. So last week, you know, I met this chick off one of the dating apps, you know. So you're meeting for drinks or whatever. She, she comes up to the room. She brings a friend. And I should have known kind of like, you know, the red flags kind of ahead of time, right? You know, they said they're from Vegas, which, you know, is a, you know, is a kind of a red flag, you know. Also, as well, they said they were, um, yeah, the one was trying to give me, like, a, try to give me, like, a massage or something like that. But then, uh, the next night, so we meet, meet for drinks and stuff. And then, fucking, turns out, these women, you know, these sweet little women you meet off the dating app, turns out, they were prostitutes. And, you know, so I'm, you know, we're having drinks and stuff, and then they leave. I'm just like, oh, it's weird. Where'd they go? So, 
I get a call probably like five minutes later, and this is like, hey, baby, well, yeah, we got to meet our pip around the corner, and he wants some fucking money, and I'm just like, mm-mm, I ain't playing that, um, and I said goodnight, and we parted ways, but yeah. Yeah, the really stupid thing was, so, like, the, the first night when they came over and stuff, not the night we grabbed drinks, but the first night, you know, I met them and stuff. So, we're hanging out, and they left probably, like, 2, 2 in the morning. They text me to come back. You know, they're going to come back, and I'm like, okay, I'll leave the door unlocked. So, that's why, boys, gentlemen, sometimes it's best not to think with your dick, you know. There are times, like, most of the time, but that wasn't one of them. Yeah, who knows? Their so-called pimp could have busted in the door like 4 or 5 in the morning like he's fucking Puff Day or some shit. Got his boys to come rob you and shoot you up in the hotel. And they fucking be singing who shot you and shit. So, gotta be safe out there. Yeah, Dallas is a wild place. But let's get back to Detroit. So, yeah, Miss Nelson, 57 years old, was lured to an abandoned house on Winthrop Street. Um, around Plymouth and Winthrop and um, you know, the west side of Detroit. And it was there where he beat her fucking half to death, then to death, and uh, strangled her. And, yeah, and then he he did his act. He stripped her naked. You know, I don't have to tell you exactly what he did uh, for you to get the idea, but he raped her. It's not, uh, not something we're proud to report, but it happened. So... One thing that is very interesting is then a day later, a viral video appeared on social media on Facebook. You know, some footage from a um from a car wash from a CCTV, you know, from a closed circuit television. So real quick, I'm gonna play you guys a video here. And you guys can check out for yourselves and kind of run through, go through some stuff and kind of break it down. Capturing a suspected killer walking down the street, but it's what this same camera caught moments later that left police horrified. And police say that man is in custody tonight. A corner of Plymouth and Winthrop on Detroit's west side. Priya man is there right now, and Priya, uh, that security camera captured the man dragging a woman's lifeless body. And Devin, Kimberly, that video is just terrifying to watch. The callous disregard for human life. That video has since been pulled from Facebook, but it begins with a man coming down these steps, dragging a woman's body. He then walks this way, dragging her body. We want to warn you, the video you're about to see is very difficult to watch. The video posted to Facebook is horrific, and we've blurred most of it. A man dragging the body of a partially clothed woman near a busy road in broad daylight. And I'm scared. I don't like to come outside. That could have been me. It was Elizabeth Strickland's first day working at the Royal Car Wash on Plymouth and Winthrop on the west side. Paying no attention because I know he's kind of off until we've seen a naked lady. Strickland says she will never forget what she witnessed Monday afternoon. I seen a guy that brought a body from out of nowhere and dropped her right there. Then he tried to run. She says he took off down the alley toward a nearby gas station. And I flagged the police down, the police got him. He tried to run, but I seen him drop a body right there yesterday. And I'm glad they got him, because I pointed him out. I'm glad they got him. The victim is a 58-year-old mother of two and maybe home. And it was sad. Detroit police believe the man killed the woman before being recorded moving her body. I feel bad. I feel bad. And I feel lost for the family. 
And those are the cameras at this car wash that recorded this terrifying video. Witnesses say they just will never forget what they saw happening right here in broad daylight. Detroit police say a 43-year-old man is in custody. Reporting live, I'm Priya Mann, Local 4. Uh, and Priya, what about charges? Uh, we, any expectation on those yet? So police expect to send a warrant package over to prosecutors tomorrow, so charges could come as early as tomorrow. All right. So that was from February 27, 2018. But, um, yeah, so the incident actually happened the day before, so it was be February 26th. But, yeah, so that's pretty much what was going on. So a body was found, and then uh, a man was wrongfully, uh, he was wrongfully arrested. However, if you are somebody who's moving a body or get caught moving a body in broad daylight, and your first instinct is to run, of course they're going to fucking think you did it. Like, what are you, fucking stupid? Now, I got another video for you guys to check out here. Right now, a Detroit man has been formally charged with first-degree murder. This is the man the police say was caught on camera dragging the dead body of his victim. Let's get to Jermont Terry. He was in the courtroom. Jermont. Karen and Devin, Rudolph Henderson is charged with first-degree premeditated murder. It's a case that really rattles people to their core. This afternoon, Henderson appeared by video arraignment um, here at the 36th District Court. Now, Henderson looked perplexed when the judge read the charges, at times clearly stating he did not understand the charge or why he was sitting in jail. But prosecutors say the 43-year-old is behind the brutal murder this week of Annette Wilson on Detroit's west side. You know, that's shit I'm talking about right there, you know? I can't even get her name right. It's Nelson. ...in the area of Plymouth and Winthrop captured a man dragging a partially nude woman from a house. In the video, you can see the man dump the woman's body on the sidewalk. Now, prosecutors say the man in that video is, in fact, Henderson. Witnesses told investigators they saw Henderson place the woman's lifeless body near the curb like it was trash. Now, take a look at what happened in court when Henderson learned that he could face life in prison for this crime. Maximum penalty is life without parole. Understand that, sir. No. You don't. Okay, Mr. Henderson, sir, please do not say anything about the case, the alleged facts of the case. That is something that you should talk to your attorney. Do you understand that? No. <laughs> Let me play that back real quick one more time. As you heard, attorney, do you understand that? No. Attorney, do you understand that? No. Stand that. No. <laughs> oh, man, the fucking. Yeah, man. They're just. Uh, all right, let me continue playing it for you. As you heard, Henderson tried to tell the judge that he found the, uh, the body. However, the judge quickly shut him down, saying that she didn't want to hear anything about the case in question. It's still unclear exactly how Henderson and the victim knew each other. We will likely learn more when he steps back before a judge on March 15th. For now, reporting live outside the 36th District Court in downtown, Jermont Terry, Local 4. All right, so something now I want to read for you. I got an official document from the Wayne County Prosecutor's Office from Kim L. Worthy. So it's a press release going to be um, compiling the, f the first four murders or pretty much the murders that you've been, you know, tried with. So I'm going to read off. So it's called, this one's titled, Murdered on Winthrop Street of Annette Nelson, 57 of Detroit. So on February 26, 2018, at 425 p.m., a 43-year-old man went into a vacant house on the 11620 block of Winthrop 
discovered the body of a woman lying face down on the floor with blood covering her face. He carried the victim outside and flagged down the police. The police found a used condom inside the house. The victim's lifeless body was taken to the Wayne County morgue, and she was later identified as Netta Nelson, 57 years old, of Detroit. Her death was determined by the Wayne County Medical Examiner to be a homicide caused by blunt force trauma. Investigation by the Detroit Police Department led to the identification and arrest of the defendant, Rudolph Lawton Henderson. So... Henderson also had prior convictions, so he had for resisting and obstructing police in 2008, a felonious assault in 2010, and a second-degree home invasion in 2015, where he was ordered to serve 10 months. So, essentially, he got out probably like 2016, so about two years before this, he also received mental health in that time, mental health treatment in that time. But lucky for him, so all the shit, you know, he went through pretty much... uh, you know, admitted to, you know, moving the body, the, the fucking, the fucking judge told him, shut up, motherfucker, shut up, you know, obviously, he wasn't well-educated, well-versed in the law, um, you know, you know, someone who doesn't know better than, you know, to plead the fifth, you know, where the probably only fifth he knows is gonna be a fucking bottle of Smirnoff, you know, but, um, so, yeah, so murder charge, so charge, charge dropped in the death of the woman who was dragged, um, this was from March 8th, 2018, Murder charges have been dropped against a Detroit man in connection with the death of 50 year old, 57-year-old woman, Annetta Nelson, who was seen in a viral video being dragged and left on the sidewalk. So it's from there, they were kind of, it was open and shut case, right? They have a video, which just actually went viral. It's kind of, kind of intriguing that this didn't really get as much uh, publicity as you think it would. You know, it's like something out of a movie. Or, especially as we go forward, there's a lot of, a lot of interesting things, a lot of interesting characters, and a lot of... Just a whole lot of shit just makes you makes you think, man. All right, so I got a short little little statement from an article. So this actually article is like a compilation of. So when they had like the court case, they had the family members of like the the family members of the victims. You know, they all got to got to speak to them, and they all got to kind of give them a peace of mind. Here's something that uh. In this article, so this article, pulling it up right now. So the Detroit serial killer gets, or yes, Detroit serial killer D'Angelo Martin gets 45 to 70 years in prison for murders of four women. This was published published October 6, 2022. And this, that's the craziest thing of this, man. This motherfucker killed five people. You know, they say four, but we know it's five. He raped, like, a bunch of others, like, you know, it's so all the ones he killed he raped, and then there's also also cases of, like, women who survived and that got raped. So this motherfucker gets a plea deal, about 45 to, like, 70 years in prison. So this son of a bitch, this sick fuck, and not the sick fucks like us, you know, we're, we're good sick fucks. Not these psychopathic murdering rapists, you know, we're, you know, if anything, we're some narcissistic sociopaths, but, you know, we don't hurt anybody, you know what I mean, at least not physically, you know. Yeah, so back on track. So this sick motherfucker, you know, has a hope of seeing daylight, you know. He murders five people, and he doesn't even get a life sentence, you know. you think they'd try to be putting murder and rapists away, but he got a plea deal, which we're going to cover some stuff down the line. There's a whole lot of shit, you know, to cover. You know, people always joke and complain about how, like, the system is broken and shit, you know, the legal system, and 
you know, some of this shit, man, just reading is going through kind of reassures, you know, some of those beliefs. But, yeah, we're, once we get into the case, you, you can kind of see for yourself, you know, what's out there, all the info that's out there. And especially to the next, when we get into the next victim, we're going to get into kind of just how uh, neglect breeds these type of issues and how just incompetence, corruption, you know, and how can it impact an investigation and, you know, affect others' lives. So we're going to get into it here and we're going to. Give, first, we're going to get back to Ned and Nelson. I got a couple more statements, another video, you know, to listen to. And then we're going to get into some some real, real shit. Now I want to read from the article of, I was currently reading about the family. So during the court case, all the family members, you know, issued statements. And this is from the, this was the last statement issued. It was from Anita Nelson Reed. So Anita Nelson Reed is going to be Anita Nelson's twin sister. So this is what she said. She said her sister was intelligent, but had an illness and a demon called crack. So it's been evident, you know, that she had a substance abuse issue. Um, she, you know, she struggled financially. She wasn't homeless, but she struggled. Um, yeah, she had a few demons. She worked in the sex working industry, which, you know, she's hardened by the streets. It's not a, definitely not a not an easy field to be in. So, so I got a, another video I'm going to play. It's a kind of a remainder of the statement from Anita herself, and we're going to play this real quick. Year-old D'Angelo Martin, a serial killer and serial rapist who terrorized Detroit's east side in 2018 and 2019, leaving used condoms in the bodies of his victims, like Annetta Nelson, in abandoned homes. I am grateful for the one man that followed my sister in that house, black and blue, bloody in her face, her pants pulled down, raped, strangled, and murdered in that vacant abandoned house. This man had the decency to bring my sister out. And they weren't the only victims. On this day, Martin in court for sentencing for the murders of four women. And, and shout out to Henderson, man. So if he never found the body, like if this whole viral video thing, if that never happened, the police never got involved, like it would, could have been something like this next victim about to go into where literally the body was just there for months. And you're, you're going to find out. So let's get into it here. All right, so our story takes us now to August 3rd. So some time has passed, you know. You know, Annette and Nelson was just another, just another death in Detroit, right? Bodies are found all the time. It's kind of something that happens that's like we kind of just look the other way. But yeah, right here, so we got to... You know what the most fucked up thing is? The police had this motherfucker in their custody. And this is where it's going to get the most wild, right? So there's actually a court case. So the Ferndale police actually got sued. So this is an article from August 3rd, 2020. Ferndale police sued for leaving women with eventual serial killer suspect before her death. And this is the, the woman. So this is the second victim, Deborah Reynolds. And this is what I was talking about earlier when uh, I was talking about like a body was decomposed and it was decomposed too long. They couldn't determine the cause of death. So even though they eventually identified DNA with the victim that shared similarities with all the other killings. They couldn't ever really prove it, but this is right here. So, Ferndale police sued for leaving women with uh, eventual serial killer suspect before their death. This is from August, August 3rd, 2020. So, three Ferndale police officers have been hit with a lawsuit, dropping a woman off in Detroit with a suspected serial killer. Now, one thing, too, is you come to find out this woman actually had dementia. So she wasn't really in the best like state of mind. And one thing too, um, actually I could pull transcript from the actual court case here. I got the court case pulled up. So here we are, Reynolds versus the city of Ferndale. 
The facts of this case are tragic. Early in the morning hours of August 3, 2018, police officers responded to a report of suspicious persons at a 7-Eleven in Ferndale, Michigan. There, the officers encountered Deborah Reynolds and D'Angelo Martin, who both appeared to be intoxicated. In time, the officers transported Reynolds and Martin to a gas station in Detroit and left them there. Reynolds was never seen alive again. Fourteen months later, her body was found in an abandoned house less than a mile away from the said gas station they were dropped off at. In September 2019, D'Angelo Martin was charged with the murder of four other women whose bodies were found in abandoned buildings across Detroit. Martin has not been charged with Reynolds' murder, but Detroit police and others have suggested that Reynolds may be another victim of Martin. Deborah Reynolds' brother, Andre Reynolds, filed this civil suit as the personal as the personal representative of the estate of Deborah Reynolds. The case was originally brought against the city of Ferndale, three Ferndale police officers, and D'Angelo Martin, but the claims against Martin have been remanded to state court. The Ferndale defendants have filed a motion to dismiss the remaining due process, equal protection, and gross negligence claims for failure to failure to state a claim upon which relief can be granted. For the reasons explained below, the motion to dismiss is granted, and the state law gross negligence claim is remanded in state court. So, so pretty much what's going on is they're denying gross negligence. So they're pretty much saying that the the police aren't responsible for leaving her with with Reynolds or leaving her with Martin. So here's the first motion. August third, two thousand eighteen, around one a.m. Three police officers, Ferndale police officers, defendants, Brandon Skizniak, Lauren Zarowski, and Powell Skomsky. The officers, quotations it says. So the police responded to a report of a suspicious individual at a 7-Eleven at 805 East Nine Mile Road in Ferndale. The officers arrived at a location in their own police car. Outside the 7-Eleven, they found Deborah Reynolds seated in a lawn chair drinking a beer. And it was a, let's see, with D'Angelo Martin standing next to her. Both Reynolds and Martin are black. It literally says that in there. So when the when the officers first arrived, there was also two white people speaking to Reynolds and Martin. But they walked away when the officers approached. Hmm, Felton, that makes sense. Oh, hey, officer. Oh, hey. Oh, hey, it's my best friend. Okay, um. Yeah, so the officers took down Reynolds' name, and she gave them her ad- her home address in Warren, Michigan. Reynolds stated that Martin did not live with her. Martin was, agi- was visibly agitated and very difficult to understand, but was eventually able to write down his own name on a piece of paper. So Officer Zorowski recognized Martin because she had previously transported Martin to, from Ferndale, Detroit, before. So that's the thing, too. She's had, she's had like, you know, interactions with this motherfucker before. So the officers attempted to administer a breathalyzer test. Reynolds was not able to follow up the instructions for the breathalyzer, but officers issued, issued her a citation for having an open intoxicant in public. Now, Martin's breathalyzer test showed his blood alcohol content was 0.19, more than twice the legal limit of driving. Because, because the officers did not see Martin with an open intoxicant or witness him commit any other crime, they did not issue him a citation. The officers attempted to run Martin's name through their database, but were unable to locate any information about him. Tell you, man, it keeps getting more and more interesting. Both Reynolds and Martin told the officers they wanted to go to go home, and then 
yeah, Skezniak body cam. Um, yeah, that's yeah, that's you know compliments of his of the officers' body cam. So officers then told Reynolds and Martin that they were going to drive them to Detroit, and Officer Skomsky stated to the other officers, "Let's get them out of our city." So pretty much, they didn't just didn't want to deal with the problem. They're like, "Oh, let's drop them off in Detroit because when people get shot and killed in Detroit, who gives a fuck, right?" So the officers led Reynolds and Martin separate police cars, you know, and um, after initially refusing to get in the car, Reynolds complied but spent the car ride yelling at Officer Zorowski and threatening to sue her. So it was around 1.30 a.m. The officers dropped Reynolds and Martin outside a Sunoco gas station at the corner of Woodward Avenue and State Fair Avenue in Detroit, just over, just over the Ferndale-Detroit border. So pretty much once they got past, you know, Ferndale and Detroit, they're like, oh, here you go. So Reynolds never came home, and her family filed a missing person report. So on October 21st, 2019, over 14 months later, Reynolds' decomposed body was found in an abandoned home on Annan Street in Detroit, a few blocks from the Sunoco gas station where they originally dropped off. And real quick, I want to make a slight correction. So it was that date when they identified the body. So the body was actually found October, December 22nd, um, 2018. So, yeah. Just clarify. Now back to the court case. So here's a more detailed account with the Ferndale officers' encounter with Reynolds and Martin. So let's let's get into this. So yeah, so around one one a.m. on August third, two thousand eighteen. So the Ferndale Police Department received a report of suspicious individuals at a Seven Eleven convenience store. So that's in Ferndale, Michigan. You know we all know that. We already heard that part of the story. So let's get into the good stuff. So Officer Brandon Skizniak. Um, whatever the fuck his name, I don't care, arrived at 7-Eleven first, where he observed four individuals on the sidewalk outside of a, of a 7-Eleven store. One of them, an African-American woman, later identified as 64-year-old Deborah Reynolds, was sitting in a lawn chair on a sidewalk drinking a 24-ounce Natty Ice. Nice. Another was African-American man standing next to Reynolds, who was later identified as 34-year-old scumbag piece of shit, D'Angelo Martin. Alright, so the other two individuals were unidentified man and woman who appeared to be Caucasian that were talking with Martin. So on the approach, Skizniak, the officer in charge, addressed only Reynolds and Martin. <laughs> Isn't that funny? They only addressed Reynolds and Martin. How's it going, ma'am? How's it going, sir? Reynolds responded, We're doing fine. The identified man and woman started to walk away, but before leaving, the man asked Skizniak if he needed them for anything, to which um, Skizniak replied, we're okay. Oh, officer, can I be some assistance for you? Oh. So another officer, Lauren Zorowski, arrived shortly thereafter. So Skizniak asked Reynolds if the beer on the ground belonged to her, which she replied, it was sitting out here when it came here. Skizniak then asked Martin to sit down, prompting Reynolds to beckon Martin to come over here, baby. Come over here, baby. So, yeah, Reynolds said that to Martin, so just get that out there. So, yeah, Martin presented himself to the officers as an individual of severe hearing and speech disabilities. So it could have been intentional, you know, or could have just been he's so he's naturally that fucked up and belligerent. Um, so when the officers asked Martin for identification, he became alarmed and flustered. He communicated to the police um, officers using barely decipherable words and hand gestures that he wanted to go home. 
Eventually, Martin wrote down his full name and date of birth for the officers. Uh, meanwhile, Reynolds appeared intoxicated and confused, slurring her speech and asking officers several times, What the hell is going on? What the hell is going on? What the hell is going on? Despite her uh, apparent impaired state, uh, Reynolds gave Skizniak her full name and date of birth. So Skizniak, Scumbaziak, no, I'm just kidding. That's where he went to his squad car to you know, check out information on Martin and Reynolds. And that's where Paolo Skomsky has arrived. So this is the third officer. Skomsky asked Martin and Reynolds where they lived. Martin did not respond, uh, but Zorowski recalled aloud that a few months later he had dropped Martin off at the intersection of John R. Street and State Fair Avenue in Detroit. Reynolds told officers that Martin did not live with her, but Martin insisted that Reynolds was with him. So Martin and yeah, so Reynolds, yeah, Reynolds said was saying, Hey, no, I'm not with this fool and Martin's like, Oh, that's my bitch. So Sconcy asked Reynolds um how how much she had to drink and Reynolds appeared uh, offended and upset by the question and denied that she drunk anything. Um when Martin motioned to Reynolds that she should calm down, she seemed to listen, saying, Okay, okay and telling the officers in a less hostile tone that she ain't no damn drunk. That's right. In quotations. Okay. So Skumsky administered breathalyzer tests to Martin and Reynolds, where Martin, you know, got point one nine, and um, they couldn't get a you know accurate, you know, they couldn't get a testable sample from Reynolds. You know, she was refusing. So Skumsky then phoned phoned in his sergeant and obtained approval to take both of them to Detroit. So Skumsky asked uh, Martin again and Reynolds where they lived, but Martin said they stayed with a cousin near State Fair Avenue and Woodward Avenue in Detroit. When Skumsky asked again. Um, again asked Reynolds where she stayed with Martin. She did not answer, but Martin continued to insist that she was with him. Taking Martin's word for it, Skomsky decided to drop them off together at the same location. Reynolds did not object. So Skomsky then checked, checked in at Skesniak, who had tried unsuccessfully to find Martin on the police databases. Skomsky could not find Martin either. Um, they abandoned their efforts and returned to the scene to escort Reynolds and Martin to the police vehicles. Before going to the police vehicles, however, Skizniak served Reynolds with a ticket for open intoxicant, and Martin, um, his arm around Reynolds, offered to hold the ticket for Reynolds. Aw, he may be a serial killer, but, you know, he's deep down, he's a sweetheart, you know. Oh man, but Reynolds did not object to Martin's arm around her or Martin's holding the ticket for her, so she's like, yeah, if you take my debt, you can feel me all you want, motherfucker. So, the officers take Reynolds and Martin to Detroit. Alright, so the officers escorted Martin and Reynolds to police vehicles to take them to Detroit. The officers arranged for Reynolds to ride in Zorowski's vehicle and for Martin to ride in Skomsky's vehicle. Reynolds, appearing confused, declared that she just wanted to go home. Zorowski tried to, to persuade Reynolds to get in the police vehicle and told her that um she planned to take Reynolds to the same place that Skomsky intended to take Martin and told her that she was planned and also told her that she planned to take her home. And then let's see. Reynolds eventually got into Zorowski's police vehicle and Martin entered Skomsky's vehicle without incident. And it says both Reynolds and Martin, you know, inside the vehicles. And then that's where Skomsky said to the others, all right, let's get them out of our city. 
So and that's one thing too. They they put a note here. So the police officer should have knew or should have had you know known Reynolds' home address because the open intoxicant citation that they you know they served Reynolds had her home address and county on there. So, but um, here's some more shit. So where okay yeah this is this is the this is the shit. All right, this is what I was looking for. All right, so Skomsky and Zorowski drove Martin and Reynolds to Detroit en route. Skomsky searched for Martin on police databases once more, but that's that search appeared to be fruitless as well. So it's like the third, fourth time they're looking for this motherfucker, and there's no, like, record of him. You know, he's like a ghost at this point, which, you know. Uh, so meanwhile, in Zorowski's vehicle, Reynolds told Zorowski several times, Your baby gonna die! Watch! Direct quotation. Zorowski apparently took Reynolds' comments to mean that uh, Zorowski's baby was going to die because she later quipped that uh, Skomsky that Reynolds had put a hex on her. So, yeah, she was in the back seat, like, casting spells and shit. Fucking, your baby going to die. Your firstborn son. Your firstborn child. I'm going to take that, motherfucker. So, Skomsky and Zorowski dropped Martin off in Martin Reynolds' office, Snoko Gas Station, in the corner of State Fair and Woodward Avenue. Now, no one ever saw Reynolds left alive. Um, yeah, no one ever saw her alive again. All right, before we get into the last last bit of this here, fuck, it's been some shit, so I'm going to need to pour myself a drink real quick. i pull up this last article for you. So this article pretty much is going to be detailing the finding of the body. So the victim, we're just talking about Deborah Reynolds. This is about the body and some issues that kind of led to pretty much derail the whole investigation. So, yeah, if the police, if motherfuckers would have done their job, this whole thing would have been taken care of fucking months. You know, who knows? Maybe, like, the other three three victims wouldn't have died, huh? So let's get into this. By the way, too, I'll compile a list of all the articles for anyone, you know, wants to fact check or just kind of go through, see all the info that I'm seeing. So here we go. To wrap it up, we got LaDuff, a serial killer and a missing woman, the anatomy of 8 Mile Road. It's going to be published by Charlie LaDuff from DeadlineDetroit.com. It's going to be June 19, 2019, 1142. Let's dive in. So we got neighbors around the old state fair grounds called the cops Wednesday morning about the stench they suspect was coming from the rotting body. So it's talking like in like first person, so we'll find out later, you know, whose whose voice this is, but this is a little confusing to me uh, firsthand. So it says, I went to the park where neighbors uh, thought the body lay. Detroit police had yet made it to the scene. Strange, I thought, since this is one of the areas where suspected Detroit serial killer D'Angelo Martin did his dirt, according to police. No body was unearthed Wednesday, so you'd think a tip like that under circumstances would trigger a sense of urgency. Detroit is such a strange town. These days, of three days of press conferences about a homicidal maniac raping and beating women to death in abandoned houses. And then the story falls from the headlines like dead leaves from a tree. No surprise around here, Darren Lasko says, who's lived in the area for 55 years. In that time, he's seen the neighborhood come and go and some more. Okay, cool. So this is the neighbor that was living on the street that... um. Dead reported the, the smell, like a stench of a dead body that was, you know, coming from the house where Reynolds was found. Okay, so take Tuesday morning for example. Lasko called 911 to report a fire at an empty house on his block. So this is a totally different call. So, you know, around like, you know, the, yeah, Tuesday morning he called to report a fire. 
He said he waited one minute and 25 seconds. Emergency operators never picked up. So Lasko drove to the firehouse at 7 Mile and John R. to beat on the bay doors. Lasko phones, phone records confirm this story. Man, this Lasko man is a badass motherfucker. Hell yeah. See, we need people like that, you know? Real characters in the city. Alright. So... It's not one nine one one operators and coffee break or sleepy handed firemen that brings me to Lasco's neighborhood. It's the abandoned two story red house where a woman's corse, corpse was collected last December. She was female, black, around forty five years old, and wrapped in a sheet. The cause of death is still undetermined as the as the body is so severely decomposed she was found by a street junkie, wrapped in a sheet, stuffed under a filthy sofa. The red house, of course, still stands operated as a sort of red roof inn for the Street denizens near Eight Mile Road. There are needles and petroleum jelly jars in the garbage, along along with cardboard signs saying, "Homeless, please help. We'll work." Dumping on the south of the border. This is the same house where Lasco says he suspected serial killer D'Angelo Martin set up temporary residence late last summer. Lasco recognized him from the mugshot recently broadcast on TV. This is a quote from Lasco. He was sitting there on the porch for four or five days. Calls Lasco. I said to him, "What? You buy it?" He said he was just getting some, getting out of the sun. The house is just a few blocks short from the Snoka gas station where Reynolds was last seen, August third, two thousand eighteen. Ferndale police dropped both her and Martin after they raised a disturbance at the Seven Eleven north of Eight Mile. She was ticketed, ticketed for open intoxicants. Um, he flunked a breathalyzer, you know, we all know that already. Um, so they got his name. Okay. And the, so yeah, so they got his name and then there's actually a video of the, him in the dash cam and they said he was nodding in and out, yawning like a jackal, barely, and could barely even remember his name. If that's not surprising to you, it shouldn't be. Uh, dumping on the south of the border has been going on since there's been 8 Mile Road and Ferndale doesn't like serial killers, so roaming the streets, so 8 Mile is the wild wild west so yeah anything goes pretty much so it's pretty common practice i would say so no follow-up so last september reynolds family reported her missing um to detroit police she is black 64 years old but looks younger the case was assigned to detroit police detectives who made a pre or perfunctionary call to her to the family but never followed up with ferndale police who had the video and d'angelo martin's name hmm had the Detroit, Detroit police done so, who knows, says Andrea Reynolds-Henley, the niece of the missing woman. Maybe other women would still be alive. Martin is suspected of killing three women uh, and assaulting two, among others. This is published earlier, so this is before the, you know, some of the other victims. He is being held without bond on sex charges in one of those cases. About the time Reynolds' family reported her missing, a stench began to bleed from the shattered, the shattered red house that was next to Lasco. At first, he thought it was a, ta- a decaying possum. But by the time the October rolled around, the stench had blanketed the street like a damp sheet. I waved the cops down, Lasco says. They said to me, don't tell us now, tell us in the winter when we don't have to smell it. Otherwise, we'll have to babysit the body and all day until the coroner's done. So yeah, just a missed opportunity there, man. So literally, the fucking cops, they're like, oh yeah, we don't want to smell that shit. Like, why are you fucking calling us, huh? You deal with that shit. You know, how about you call us when we don't have to smell it and then we'll take care of it. So they wait fucking months and months and months to the fucking 
body is so decomposed, it really derailed the whole investigation. So it's like they could have had a lot of evidence. One thing, too, if they would have actually followed up on it and then say, hey, these instances that led us here, we got the evidence. Let's talk to Ferndale. Oh, we got footage. Oh, we got the guy's name. They could have literally locked this dude up before he decided to go on a rampage and raping and murder another five women. He raped two more and then killed three more after this, so. We could just say like seven victims total, you know, that we know about, including the, the survivors. So, outrageous galore. So, piecing two and two together, Detroit detectives finally reached out last week um, to the family with a hairbrush that belonged to Deborah Reynolds. So, I was talking about that a little bit earlier. DNA from the corpse at the morgue has likewise been shipped for testing. And uh, there's a reason I chose this case. This case, just for some reason, you know, fascinated me. You know, I'm writing a novel on this, the said subject. Um, there's a lot of things that just, there's so much more to it. It's just, it's the bigger issue. It's an issue with socioeconomics, substance abuse, race relations, mental health, and overall systematic failure. Pretty much the whole inner world of Detroit and expands outward. So there's a lot of whole shit, there's a whole lot of shit we got to get into. Um, we haven't even covered the blight, the demolitions, the conspiracy, whole lot of shit. And then eventually, um, kind of want to close this thing down, you know, this, this series want to do an interview with with martin himself kind of go up to the prison kind of have a little little word with him you know i think that would be not just entertaining but i think it would be a good way to get get some good insight but you know you know with all the serious stuff here you know stuff could be grim it could be dark and that's why we like to have a little bit of fun because when life is a sick joke sometimes all you can do is laugh and that is the deal my name is dill murrell and this has been a stocking for a sociopath